So it is April of 2022, and I will be reading the Gospel Topics essay, Translation and the Historicity of the Book of Abraham. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints embraces the Book of Abraham as scripture. This book, a record of the biblical prophet and patriarch Abraham, recounts how Abraham sought the blessings of the priesthood, rejected the idolatry of his father, covenanted with Jehovah, married Sarai, moved to Canaan and Egypt, and received knowledge about the creation. The Book of Abraham largely follows the biblical narrative, but adds important information regarding Abraham's life and teachings. The Book of Abraham was first published in 1842 and was canonized as part of the Pearl of Great Price in 1880. The book originated with the Egyptian papyri that Joseph Smith translated beginning in 1835. Many people saw the papyri, but no eyewitness account of the translation survives, making it impossible to reconstruct the process. Only small fragments of the long papyrus scrolls, once in Joseph Smith's possession, exist today. The relationship between those fragments and the text we have today is largely a matter of conjecture. We do know some things about the translation process. The word translation typically assumes an expert knowledge of multiple languages. Joseph Smith claimed no expertise in any language. He readily acknowledged that he was one of the weak things of the world, called to speak words sent from heaven. Speaking of the translation of the Book of Mormon, the Lord said, You cannot write that which is sacred, save it be given you from me. The same principle can be applied to the Book of Abraham. The Lord did not require Joseph Smith to have a knowledge of Egyptian. By the gift and power of God, Joseph received knowledge about the life and teachings of Abraham. On many particulars, the Book of Abraham is consistent with historical knowledge about the ancient world. Some of this knowledge, which is discussed later in this essay, had not yet been discovered or was not well known in 1842. But even this evidence of ancient origins, substantial though it may be, cannot prove the truthfulness of the Book of Abraham any more than archaeological evidence can prove the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt or the resurrection of the Son of God. The Book of Abraham's status as scripture ultimately rests on faith in the saving truths found within the book itself, as witnessed by the Holy Ghost. The Book of Abraham as Scripture Thousands of years ago, the prophet Nephi learned that one of the purposes of the Book of Mormon was to establish the truth of the Bible. In a similar way, the Book of Abraham supports, expands, and clarifies the biblical account of Abraham's life. In the biblical account, God covenants with Abraham to make of thee a great nation. The Book of Abraham provides context for that covenant by showing that Abraham was a seeker of great knowledge and a follower of righteousness, who chose the right path in spite of great hardship. He rejected the wickedness of his father's household and spurned the idols of the surrounding culture, despite the threat of death. In the Bible, God's covenant with Abraham appears to begin during Abraham's life. According to the Book of Abraham, the covenant began before the foundation of the earth and was passed down through Adam, Noah, and other prophets. Abraham thus takes his place in a long line of prophets and patriarchs whose mission is to preserve and extend God's covenant on earth. The heart of this covenant is the priesthood, through which the blessings of salvation, even life eternal, are conveyed. The Book of Abraham clarifies several teachings that are obscure in the Bible. Life does not begin at birth, as it is commonly believed. Prior to coming to earth, individuals existed as spirits. In a vision, Abraham saw that one of the spirits was like unto God. This divine being, Jesus Christ, led other spirits into organizing the earth out of materials or pre-existing matter, not ex nihilo or out of nothing, as many Christians later came to believe. Abraham further learned that mortal life was crucial to the plan of happiness God would provide for his children. We will prove them herewith, God stated, to see if they will do all things whatsoever the Lord their God shall command them, adding a promise to add glory forever upon the faithful. Nowhere in the Bible is the purpose and potential of earth life stated so clearly as in the book of Abraham. Origin of the Book of Abraham 
The powerful truths found in the Book of Abraham emerge from a set of unique historical events. In the summer of 1835, an entrepreneur named Michael Chandler arrived at church headquarters in Kirtland, Ohio, with four mummies and multiple scrolls of papyrus. Chandler found a ready audience. Due partly to the exploits of French Emperor Napoleon, the antiquities unearthed in the catacombs of Egypt had created a fascination across the Western world. Chandler capitalized on this interest by touring with ancient Egyptian artifacts and charging visitors a fee to see them. These artifacts had been uncovered by Antonio Lebolo, a former cavalryman in the Italian army. Lebolo, who oversaw some of the excavations for the Consul General of France, pulled 11 mummies from a tomb not far from the ancient city of Thebes. Lebolo shipped the artifacts to Italy, and after his death they ended up in New York. At some point, the mummies and scrolls came into Chandler's possession. By the time the collection arrived in Kirtland, all but four mummies and several papyrus scrolls had already been sold. A group of Latter-day Saints in Kirtland purchased the remaining artifacts for the church. After Joseph Smith examined the papyri and commenced the translation of some of the characters or hieroglyphics, his history recounts, much to our joy, we found that one of the rolls contained the writings of Abraham. Translation of the Book of Abraham Joseph Smith worked on the translation of the Book of Abraham during the summer and fall of 1835, by which time he completed at least the first chapter and part of the second chapter. His journal next speaks of translating the papyri in the spring of 1842, after the saints had relocated to Nauvoo, Illinois. All five chapters of the Book of Abraham, along with three illustrations, now known as facsimiles 1, 2, and 3, were published in the Times and Seasons, the church's newspaper in Nauvoo between March and May of 1842. The Book of Abraham was the last of Joseph Smith's translation efforts. In these inspired translations, Joseph Smith did not claim to know the ancient languages of the records he was translating. Much like the Book of Mormon, Joseph's translation of the Book of Abraham was recorded in the language of the King James Bible. This was the idiom of scripture familiar to early Latter-day Saints, and its use was consistent with the Lord's pattern of revealing his truths after the manner of their, his servants' language, that they might come to understanding. Joseph's translation took a variety of forms. Some of his translations, like that of the Book of Mormon, utilized ancient documents in his possession. Other times, his translation was not based on any known physical records. Joseph's translation of portions of the Bible, for example, included restoration of original text, harmonization of contradictions within the Bible itself, and inspired commentary. Some evidence suggests that Joseph studied the characters on Egyptian papyri and attempted to learn the Egyptian language. His history reports that in July of 1835, he was continually engaged in translating an alphabet to the Book of Abraham and arranging a grammar of the Egyptian language as practiced by the ancients. This grammar, as it was called, consisted of columns of hieroglyphic characters, followed by English translations recorded in a large notebook by Joseph's scribe, William W. Phelps. Another manuscript written by Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery has Egyptian characters followed by explanations. The relationship of these documents to the Book of Abraham is not fully understood. Neither the rules nor the translations in the grammar book correspond to those recognized by Egyptologists today. Whatever the role of the grammar book, it appears that Joseph Smith began translating portions of the Book of Abraham almost immediately after the purchase of the papyri. Phelps apparently viewed Joseph Smith as uniquely capable of understanding the Egyptian characters, as no one could translate these writings, he told his wife. They were presented to President Smith. He soon knew what they were. The Papyri After the Latter-day Saints left Nauvoo, the Egyptian artifacts remained behind. Joseph Smith's family sold the papyri and the mummies in 1856. The papyri were divided up and sold to various parties. Historians believe that most were destroyed in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. Ten papyrus fragments once in Joseph Smith's possession ended up in the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. In 1967, the museum transferred these fragments to the church, which subsequently published them in the church's magazine 
the Improvement Era, the discovery of the papyrus fragments renewed debate about Joseph Smith's translation. The fragments included one vignette, or illustration, that appear in the Book of Abraham as facsimile one. Long before the fragments were published by the Church, some Egyptologists had said that Joseph Smith's explanations of the various elements of these facsimiles did not match their own interpretations of these drawings. Joseph Smith had published the facsimiles as freestanding drawings, cut off from the hieroglyphics, or hieratic characters, that originally surrounded the vignettes. The discovery of the fragments meant that readers could now see the hieroglyphics and characters immediately surrounding the vignette that became facsimile 1. None of the characters on the papyrus fragments mentioned Abraham's name or any of the events recorded in the Book of Abraham. Mormon and non-Mormon Egyptologists agree that the characters on the fragments do not match the translation given in the Book of Abraham, though there is not unanimity, even among non-Mormon scholars, about the proper interpretation of the vignettes on these fragments. Scholars have identified the papyrus fragments as part of standard funerary texts that were deposited with mummified bodies. These fragments date to between the 3rd century BCE and the 1st century CE, long after Abraham lived. Of course, the fragments do not have to be as old as Abraham for the Book of Abraham and its illustrations to be authentic. Ancient records are often transmitted as copies, or as copies of copies. The record of Abraham could have been edited or redacted by later writers, much as the Book of Mormon prophet historians, Mormon and Moroni, revised the writings of earlier peoples. Moreover, documents initially composed for one context can be repackaged for another context or purpose. Illustrations once connected with Abraham could have either drifted or been dislodged from their original context and reinterpreted hundreds of years later in terms of burial practices in a later period of Egyptian history. The opposite could also be true. Illustrations with no clear connection to Abraham anciently could, by revelation, shed light on the life and teachings of this prophetic figure. Some have assumed that the hieroglyphics adjacent to and surrounding facsimile 1 must be a source for the text of the Book of Abraham, but this claim rests on the assumption that a vignette and its adjacent text must be associated in meaning. In fact, it was not uncommon for ancient Egyptian vignettes to be placed some distance from their associated commentary. Neither the Lord nor Joseph Smith explain the process of translation of the Book of Abraham, but some insight can be gained from the Lord's instruction to Joseph regarding translation. In April of 1829, Joseph received a revelation for Oliver Cowdery that taught that both intellectual work and revelation were essential to translating sacred records. It was necessary to study it out in your mind and then seek spiritual confirmation. Records indicate that Joseph and others studied the papyri and that close observers also believe that the translation came by revelation. As John Whitmer observed, Joseph the seer saw these records and by the revelation of Jesus Christ could translate these records. It is likely futile to assess Joseph's ability to translate papyri when we now have only a fraction of the papyri he had in his possession. Eyewitnesses spoke of a long roll or multiple rolls of papyrus. Since only fragments survive, it is likely that much of the papyri accessible to Joseph when he translated the Book of Abraham is not among these fragments. The loss of a significant portion of the papyri means the relationship of the papyri to the published text cannot be settled conclusively by reference to the papyri. Alternatively, Joseph's study of the papyri may have led to a revelation about key events and teachings in the life of Abraham, much as he had earlier received a revelation about the life of Moses while studying the Bible. This view assumes a broader definition of the word translator and translation. According to this view, Joseph's translation was not a literal rendering of the papyri, as the conventional translation would be. Rather, the physical artifacts provided an occasion for meditation, reflection, and revelation. They catalyzed a process whereby God gave to Joseph Smith a revelation about the life of Abraham, even if that revelation did not directly correlate to the characters on the papyri. The Book of Abraham and the Ancient World
a careful study of the Book of Abraham, provides a better measure of the book's merits than any hypothesis that treats the text as a conventional translation. Evidence suggests that elements of the Book of Abraham fit comfortably in the ancient world and supports the claim that the Book of Abraham is an authentic record. The Book of Abraham speaks disapprovingly of human sacrifice offered on an altar in Chaldea. Some victims were placed on the altar as sacrifices because they rejected the idols worshipped by their leaders. Recent scholarship has found instances of such punishment dating to Abraham's time. People who challenged the standing religious order, either in Egypt or in the regions over which it had influence, such as Canaan, could and did suffer execution for their offenses. The conflict over the religion of Pharaoh, as described in Abraham 1, 11-12, is an example of punishment now known to have been meted out during the Abrahamic era. The Book of Abraham contains other details that are consistent with modern discoveries about the ancient world. The book speaks of the plain of Ulishem, a name not mentioned in the Bible. An ancient inscription, not discovered and translated until the 20th century, mentions a town called Ulishem, located in northwestern Syria. Further, Abraham 3, 22-23, is written in a poetic structure more characteristic of Near Eastern languages than early American style. Joseph Smith's explanations of the facsimiles of the Book of Abraham contain additional earmarks of the ancient world. Facsimile 1 and Abraham 1, 17, mentions the idolatrous god Elkanah. This deity is not mentioned in the Bible, yet modern scholars have identified it as being among the gods worshipped by ancient Mesopotamians. Joseph Smith represented the four figures in figure 6 of facsimile 2 as this earth in its four quarters. A similar interpretation has been argued by scholars who study identical figures in other ancient Egyptian texts. Facsimile 1 contains a crocodile deity swimming in what Joseph Smith called the firmament over our heads. This interpretation makes sense in light of scholarship that identifies Egyptian concepts of heaven with a heavenly ocean. The Book of Abraham is consistent with various details found in non-biblical stories about Abraham that circulated in the ancient world around the time the papyri were likely created. In the Book of Abraham, God teaches Abraham about the sun, the moon, and the stars. I show these things unto thee before ye go into Egypt, the Lord says, that ye may declare all these words. Ancient texts repeatedly refer to Abraham instructing the Egyptians in knowledge of the heavens. For example, Eupolemus, who lived under Egyptian rule in the 2nd century BCE, wrote that Abraham taught astronomy and other sciences to the Egyptian priests. A 3rd century papyrus from an Egyptian temple library connects Abraham with an illustration similar to facsimile 1 in the Book of Abraham. A later Egyptian text discovered in the 20th century tells how the pharaoh tried to sacrifice Abraham, only to be foiled when Abraham was delivered by an angel. Later, According to this text, Abraham taught members of the Pharaoh's court through astronomy. All these details are found in the Book of Abraham. Other details in the Book of Abraham are found in ancient traditions located across the Near East. These include Terah, Abraham's father, being an idolater, a famine striking Abraham's homeland, Abraham's familiarity with Egyptian idols, and Abraham's being younger than 75 years old when he left Haran, as biblical accounts state. Some of these extra-biblical elements were available in apocryphal books, or biblical commentaries in Joseph Smith's lifetime, but others were confined to non-biblical traditions, inaccessible or unknown to 19th century Americans. Conclusion The veracity and volume of the Book of Abraham cannot be settled by scholarly debate concerning the book's translation and historicity. The book's status as scripture lies in the eternal truths it teaches and the powerful spirit it conveys. The Book of Abraham imparts profound truths about the nature of God, his relationship to us as his children, and the purpose of this mortal life. The truth of the Book of Abraham is ultimately found through careful study of its teachings, sincere prayer, and the confirmation of the Spirit.